You're listening to Messy Jesus Business, a podcast about radical gospel living. Hi, everyone. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, a writer, spiritual director, and jail minister living in Chicago. Welcome to The Mess. At Messy Jesus Business, we explore how the mess of radical gospel living brings disciples into a life of struggle as we advocate for social justice, live simply, serve others, practice contemplation, and live in community. And now on to our guest. Gary Jansen is a public speaker and author of several books, including the multi-award-winning Micro Shifts, The 15-Minute Prayer Solution, Stations to Station, Life Everlasting, and the memoir, Holy Ghosts. Jansen has appeared on A&E, The Sundance Channel, The Travel Channel, Coast to Coast, CNN.com, and NPR. His writing has been featured in the Chicago Sun-Times, USA Today, Huffington Post, Thrive Global, Angelus, and Religion Dispatches. Jansen worked at Penguin Random House for 25 years, where he was the editor on several New York Times bestsellers. He is now the executive editor of Acquisitions at Loyola Press. In this episode of Messy Jesus Business Podcast, Gary and I talk about how books helped him discover his vocation and feel drawn to God, and how he awakened to the spiritual and supernatural realities around him. We discuss how the mysteries of faith can influence and direct us, even in the midst of uncertainty. We chat about the reality of embracing a life of suffering when we choose the spiritual path. And we discuss the mess of taking risks, being generous, and loving others while looking out for our own well-being. Enjoy. Gary Jansen, welcome to Messy Jesus Business. Hey, Julia. Thanks so much for having me here today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you and hear a little bit about your vocation story and your faith journey and your work. And you work in religion and publishing. You're living out in New York on Long Island, where I think you grew up. Like, how did you end up becoming Gary Jansen, the writer, the speaker, the teacher, the the publisher, and come to know how you were called to, to serve church and society in this way? Yeah, it's great. You know, um, I went to Catholic school for 12 years. So, and I was actually, you know, the thing I always forget is I always think I was Catholic from birth and I wasn't, I was actually baptized Lutheran because my, uh, through my dad's church. Um, but then I got my sacraments in second grade. Um, and so I went to Catholic school, but I went to Catholic school, like in the seventies and eighties, late seventies, early eighties, there wasn't a lot of great, like catechesis. So it was kind of like, or I was Catholic school and we'd go to like mass, like once a week or once a month. But it was kind of like a public school, like the religion that we were taught. I mean, it, we did learn religion, but it was never, I, I don't know. I didn't remember a lot of it. I, mm-hmm. I didn't remember a lot of it when I was in high school either. So I kind of grew up provisionally Catholic and then went off to college and then didn't practice my faith at all when I was in college. But when I was about 24, someone, a good friend of mine, bought me like a gift certificate to an Ignatian retreat at uh, St. Ignatius Retreat House on Manhattan, in, in Manhattan, New York. 
And I was kind of reluctant to go, but he said, you got to go, man, it'll change your life. And I did. And I went and I was dreading it. And it was transformative. It was, it introduced me to St. Ignatius. It introduced me to what I felt like, wow, like religion could be like this, right? I mean, I'd known it in one way, but didn't know it in, in many other different ways. And that was just, it was three days and I was just, something happened, right? And I just felt like, wow, I feel like, I feel like God's talking to me. Uh, or at least I'm like picking up on things I'd never picked up on before. And then that started a whole, you know, process of just reading. And I was a big reader. I was a reader since I was a kid. And I just started reading everything. So I would, you know, I started off like reading Anthony DeMello because uh, it was a friend gave it to me. And so he wrote a book called Awareness. But Anthony DeMello led me to Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen led me to C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis led me to like Fulton Sheen. Fulton Sheen led me to reading the works of Pope John Paul II. And then, and just on and on and on and on. And I just kept reading mm-hmm. and, and loved it. And, and then started journaling and had always wanted to be a writer. And then like in 2005, I had an idea for a book on the rosary and pitched it. Couldn't believe that someone actually picked it up. And then it was done in a very kind of like small edition. And then a few years later, that was picked up by a major publisher. There was a lot that happened in between there, but that was, it was really through books that, that I felt like drawn to God and writing gave me the outlet to kind of express what I was experiencing. And I feel like I had a really, really fun introduction to the spiritual life. All these coincidences would start happening. All of these like strange things happen. I feel like without sounding like crazy, I just felt like, oh my God, there's like angels all around me and I can like feel like the presence of something. And I would go to mass and be something would happen to me physically and I'd be sitting in adoration and something would happen to me physically. In 2007, 2008, we had this ghostly experience that happened. It lasted for about a year and just like continued, but it really kind of like just shattered like my worldview, which was kind of a very materialistic worldview Mm. and just got said, no, 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 no. You know, there is something bigger out there and you've been introduced to it, you know, through school, right? But now you're really getting a different glimpse of it. You've written books about this. You have your memoirs explore some of this path, your experiences. Your story is really evidence of that principle that we sometimes say in in our tradition that God is still speaking. The revelation of God did not end with, with Jesus Christ, but God is still communicating with us. And through spiritual writers and religion and you know philosophy you're the popes even you were able to connect with god and with mystery and it kind of like awakened something in you huh yeah absolutely i mean i remember really being i was you know so i i lived on long island for a lot of my life and then uh, you know commuted back and forth to new york city for 25 years because i worked at penguin random house and spent about 11 years doing religious publishing there but I would take the train in every day. And I just remember a few years ago, you know, I'm looking around and, you know, you're sitting on the train and you could see the backs of everybody's head, you know, sitting in front of you. And it was just weird because they all of a sudden, like for a very like brief image, all look like giant rosary beads to me. And it only was like a flash, right? And I could see like the cord, like connecting everybody on the train. 
And as much as people are annoying when you commute with them, and as much as commuting just stinks, I felt really, really like connected to these people. I'm a big fan of the rosary and, and seeing how we are connected to all these people. And it was the spirit of God that was connecting all of us, mm-hmm. right? So just as I had that vision of people as like rosary beads, I also think that each and every one of us is a book, right? Mm-hmm. And we share a lot of similarities with books, right? It can be kind of hard on the outside, right? But you get inside and that's where you like learn about the depths and that all of us can be opened up, right? And just, and when people start, you know, telling their stories, you know, the pages can just continue to turn. And so this idea of, of revelation that continues, well, you know, the Bible is made up of different books and uh, each of us is like a continuation of that Bible, right? I'm sure, you know, councils would say, well, that's not true, but the, uh, but that's how I see it, right? I see it as just every individual is a, is, is a book, you know, that's part of this holy, of this holy experience. That's beautiful. So the living word of God is not only scripture, it is also us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, without us, and I'm sure this is heretical, without us, <laughs> there is no living word of God, right? It just wouldn't be, right? If there's no human creation, right? To to read it, to to interpret it, mm-hmm. to live by it, to reject it, does it exist? So in many ways, you know, the Bible gives us meaning, but we in turn give the Bible meaning. Yeah. right? Just through our own experiences and how, how we relate to one another, you know, and the different, you know, struggles that we all face, the joys that we sometimes experience. Yeah. I mean, it's really, really connected. So I just wrote a piece actually from my high school about the word of God and how, you know, in the beginning of John, what it says, it says, you know, in the beginning was the word. And so even God's interested in words, right? I mean, mm. and Jesus is the word and, and as Christians or little Christ, you know, we are also the word, you know, also part of that word. So, yeah, I just, yeah, I, there's just so many similarities I see between the written word and the books and the Bible and individuals. And an, another thing that you're saying here that that I just want to kind of flush out a little bit, because I think it's it's beautiful and significant, is how the word comes alive in community, right? So the, what what has kept the scriptures alive for 2000 years in, in the Christian tradition is, is the fact that we read it in community, we meditate in community, we, we listen to other people talk about it and so on and so forth. It's, it's the community that connects us. I sometimes have that experience where like, I can read a book by myself and I have this like feeling like, no, I want to go read this to someone. I want to share this with someone. And it, that's what actually enlivens it even more is in the, in the connections in the community. So that's, that's part of our tradition too. We're not solitude. It's not just us in the Bible, <laughs> right? Yeah. That idea, like what you're just talking about is really, really important to me because especially with all the kind of the isolation that's been going on for the last two years, you know, around the world because of the pandemic, you know, you keep hearing more and more about mental health issues. So it's something I've been exploring. I might write about it at some point. I mean, other people have written about it, so I don't really don't have much else to say except observations about what happens when you're not in community and how bad it can be for people. And National Geographic just did a recent an article recently on how when elephants are isolated, you know, they sink into really bad depression, right? They get mm-hmm. sick from it. And so, and my son and I, just that day before that article came out, we were talking, my son's 18. And so he's now, he's got that kind of romantic image of the, I'll just be like the lone wolf, you know, doesn't need mm-hmm. anybody. Um, um, and I grew up and had the same, you know, feelings. Uh, but as I've gotten older, I've seen, no, you really need community. You need community just because 
it helps to prevent you from going crazy, from being crazy, mm -hmm. right? Because you, when you're in a community, they will, people will correct you, whether it's your family or your friends or someone on the street. You act like a jerk. Someone is going to <laughs> try and correct you for what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and without that, if we're just in total isolation, well, the chatter never stops, right? Yeah. You don't have those distractions that, 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 that can help you just get through all the craziness that goes on inside our own heads. Uh, and then I think you just spiral into unreality. And so community is huge. And so when you can share the word, when you can share books and you can share ideas, you're increasing your experience of reality, right? And a lot of times I think our realities can feel kind of small, but when you're, when you're communicating, you know, when you're in community, it just, it makes it bigger. Not that it can't be annoying, because I'm sure in, in all communities, there's all problems, right? There's always problems. Um, but I think in general, you know, it's, it's so very important to share, you know, to share your word, to share your words, to share your stories. Yeah. You know, with other, so. yeah. In religious life, we talk about how that in community, it's like, our, we're all little jewels, but we really need our rough edges to rub up against each other so that we can all be polished and shine brighter. Right. And, and, and I also right. think about how St. Clair of Assisi teaches us about the mirror and the spirituality of the mirror and how Christ is a mirror unto us. And we look into Christ and we see ourselves, but it, the mirror is also found in human relationships and in community. And we can only come to really see who we are by hearing from others. Sometimes that really harsh feedback, like, come on, stop being such a jerk right now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right? Also the encouragement, like I, I, I would not be who I am today without my sisters naming my gifts and encouraging me to, to steward them, foster them in, in their growth. So it's beautiful Marvel. Yeah. So I'd like to go, you mentioned, you mentioned the hauntedness of your house. I'd love, I know you like to talk about ghosts. So let's, let's go explore, explore the supernatural a little bit. Folks can like read a Holy Ghost to, to know the story. Why would they want to read that <laughs> the book and get into the story, especially if they're like me and they're scared of ghosts. <laughs> so, yeah. So in 2007, my wife uh, miscarried. We'd had a three-year-old son at the time. And then uh, we were pregnant and excited about um, having a baby. And then my wife miscarried. And then two days later, really odd stuff started happening in the house. Like just strange electrical anomalies, strange sensations. We would see things that we, we you know, we were questioning. And for, for, for a while, we thought this is just our way of dealing with loss, right? Something, you know, right? we don't know exactly what's going on. But then it just kind of like amped up and like got weirder and weirder. And there were these strange coincidences and all of these things happening. And so I started more exploring more about the supernatural, right? Uh, which, you know, I always liked Stephen King novels, but I never really kind of like believed in any of this stuff. My mom did. My mom had like big experience, you know, my mom had like had told me about experiences, but it's not that I never believed her. It's just that I'd never had anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so there I was like in my thirties, you know, with a young family and then all this like classic haunting stuff starts happening in our house. And so Holy Ghost, which is this book I wrote, a memoir about that time, you know, kind of like talks about the time, but also goes into what does the Catholic faith think about all this stuff? Mm -hmm. Not only the Catholic faith, what do other religions think about this? So it tries to marry my story and my research 
and the research is an exploration of, of the supernatural in many in its many different forms. That kind of invigorated me in, in, a, in a very big way because I think I was having like supernatural experiences before that through prayer and meditation. Because I think, again, we have this like chatter that goes on inside our heads all the time. And if I'm talking all the time and you try to say something, I'm not going to be able to hear you because I'm so caught up in myself. So two people who are like yelling at each other, they never really kind of get through. You really need someone to like be quiet and listen and then you reciprocate. And then you have great communication. But I think I was so filled with chatter all the time that I couldn't hear God speak to me until I started praying and meditating. And leading up to that time, I had been in like some serious like prayer and meditation time throughout the day. Uh, you know, like at, at least an hour every morning, just kind of like, like really intense prayer, really intense meditation, like really like being quiet and being still. And I think my hypothesis is, is that when we can be very quiet and we can be very still, that there is a supernatural world around us that we can, that, that, that you can ex like experience, whether it's angels, whether there's spirits around us. I just think that that was that whole book is about this kind of like blowing my mind sense of wonder that what if there's no way of proving any of this mm. right but through my personal experiences i had physical emotional spiritual like things happen to me yeah. and i'm able to be still and be able to be quiet right and you can Maybe that's how you hear the voice of God. And maybe the reason why we more and more of us don't hear the voice of God is because we're constantly talking, right? Mm -hmm. And if we're not talking outwardly, we're talking inside our head. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. But when we quiet that, I felt, and I still feel, that there is an amazing world around us that's only been touched on in, trying, in terms of like trying to explore it and try to understand it. So, Yeah, yeah. You're saying so much that's true. And, you know, thinking about this, this conversation and, and like knowing my own fear of ghosts. And I was thinking about how some people have these encounters with like, what could be really creepy and what, where it is fearful versus what is beautiful and like holy. And yet in both ways that it, helps us to touch into the mystery of, right. of like, there's, there's more than what we as humans can see and experience and feel. And I was thinking about my own habits and how uh, in my bedroom, it's like, basically one of my friends told me it's like a religious museum. <laughs> like, <laughs> like It's just like saint statues and icons. No, like and I love to be surrounded by all these like religious items because probably because they offer me, I feel like a comfort and like a strength and, and they're them being nearby. And yet I recognize that a lot of it comes out of fear. Like I'm, I'm afraid of other elements. So I sort of move my life in this other direction all the time. I'm trying to choose what's holy and good because I'm so afraid of, of the other side. But a lot of people are horror film junkies, right? I'm just offer all of that because I'm curious what you have to say about how the supernatural can either hurt or help our faith and our devotion to Jesus. 
Yeah. One of the things that, is, that fascinates me, and I really haven't been able to kind of like find this out. I've, I've read this and I'm trying to find studies that can back it up. But I've read in different places, human beings can only experience about one, maybe 2% of the reality that's happening, right? So when it's a sunny day, ultraviolet uh, light is shining down on you. You can't see the light, it's invisible. You can't see infrared. There is dark matter that exists in the world. The hypothesis is that going to exist. Uh, you can't experience it. You know, you can't see it. So all of this stuff, you know, from a scientific point of view, you know, science will say, hey, you know what? There's a lot of stuff that your senses can't pick up on, right? Mm. And like a dog can probably either see less or see more, I'm always forgetting. But there's certain animals that can see more in the color spectrum than we can see. So maybe I can only see 40 different colors, but maybe there's somebody out there who can see 80 different colors, right? You can see colors that, you know, we've never noticed before. And that is evidence to me that there is something beyond, you know, much further beyond physically here in, you know, in this life, not heaven, but in this life right here that we can't experience or that we, or, or that we, or that we, we're not experiencing on a day-to-day, -day. we're not conscious of it. And, and so that really kind of drives home this idea of, of, for lack of a better word, the supernatural, that there are, why couldn't there be entities, right? That, that, that can help us angels, right? Who, who could, who could, you know, help, you know, help keep us from harm or, you know, help, you know, or, or just help in our daily lives, right? We all supposedly, according to the catechism, I believe, have a guardian angel. And so, you know, that's someone who's with us from the time that we're born to the time that we die. Now, it's tradition, and, but it's something that, you know, is, is, is a belief. Uh, why couldn't there be demons, right? I mean, look, we got an invisible COVID, uh, you know, coronavirus out there that just hits people seemingly out of like nowhere. They wear a mask, they get vaccinated or whatever, and then boom, they're still getting it. You know, I'm not saying that that's the devil, but but why couldn't there be people, you know, or, or, or something out there that influences how we live in our day to day? I don't know, but it, I like to keep that, you know, I like to ponder that question quite a bit. And and one of the things that I've learned like over the years in terms of like fear of the supernatural and all of that is, you know, part of that Holy Ghost book is like, it's me kind of like being shaggy from like Scooby-Doo because all this stuff is happening. And I'm like, Zoinks, holy smokes, man. I can't believe this is happening. Right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I had a dog at the time with like one eye and the dog is like scared, like out of its mind too. And it's just, mm. and it really was moments of like Scooby-Doo um, silliness mm -hmm. because I was afraid. But over the years, I realized, well, if you got God on your side, you really don't have to be afraid, right? And, and I've done some work with um, exorcists over the years and, mm -hmm. and have done studies or have like taken classes and studied with a noted exorcist. And the first thing he comes back to say is like, they're, like, they're dust bunnies. Don't even worry about them. You know, when it comes to God, like God's the thing. Right? all these other things, you know, whatever. They're just small little potatoes, whatever. Get out of here. Don't even worry about them. You know, and then there's a anecdote of like Therese of Lisieux, who I, I think it's attributed to her. She's walking through a garden one day and uh, she hears this monstrous roar coming behind like flowers or something or some kind of bush, right? And all the other nuns kind of run away. But Therese, Therese is like, I'm going to go check this out. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so she kind of like, she hears the roar again and it's deafening, but she's able to kind of pull back the bush and she sees these two like little demons like this, you know, laughing with each other, like on top of a barrel. And, uh, and they're like, watch this, roar, right? And they're able to make a lot of noise, right? <laughs> Yeah. And then when she like clears her throat or something, they look up and they get so terrified that it's Therese, they disappear, right? They're like, oh my God, it's Therese on the set, boom. And that's an anecdote. I don't even remember where I read that, but I think that's- That's cute. <laughs> that's what I think. I think if we live from that mindset, yeah. oh, so there's this kind of like, you know, if, there is a, if there's scary supernatural stuff in the world, you don't have to really worry about it. You have to worry about the natural stuff that's going on, mm -hmm. you know, probably a little bit more. COVID um, and climate change are more harmful, yeah, actually. You know, systemic sin that's in, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. it just really kind of like, that's the thing that's really I've been like thinking a lot about too is, you know, because I, I want to be very, I want to be a positive person, but the more and more like I look at the systemic sin within me, mm -hmm. but also the systemic sin within like, corporations and organizations and countries and stuff you're like holy smokes how much there's we're screwed there and there's not like how do you even get out of this how do you even try to fix it um and i think the only thing that the only answer i can come up with now is just try to fix it within yourself you know and you can't even really fix it it's the grace of god that helps you mm -hmm. you know to, to complete you but to try and i don't know you know so i'm mm -hmm. in this point right now where there's a lot of like looking into you know, what real evil is and how does that look? Mm, yeah, yeah. God is constantly pouring out this love and this invitation and the goodness is abundance and it's it's really overflowing and God's protection is available for us to take care of us all the time. And we get to make the choice of, of gazing upon that or gazing upon the other things that, yeah. that can draw us away. And it sounds like your encounter with the supernatural brought you back to christ or yeah. or brought you deeper into christ or something absolutely yeah. yeah absolutely and and so that you know so and that's what holy ghost is really about as much as it's like it's a scary ghost story it's an experience of wonder right and that i think it recounts that experience of wonder the, the fear but also the holy smokes i feel like we live in a time right now where our country is very puritanical right but also rejects Christianity, right? So it acts like a puritanical Christian, though it rejects in general Christianity itself, right? And so you have this kind of like weird like dichotomy that, that goes on. I think it was Cardinal George maybe who said, we live in a world that condemns everything and forgives nothing. Mm. So I think the point being is that, yes, we have, we can accept God's grace and it is offered to us, it's showered upon us, but it's systemic stuff within us that prevents us from saying yes. I'm learning more and more about this for myself that, and it troubles me. I want to be able to say yes more, but there are things that prevent me from doing that, you know? And part of that I think is hardwired into us, right? We're hardwired to, be, to survive. Mm -hmm. And I think when you see the bread, that can help me survive. But if I see this kind of spiritual bread, that's a little tougher to see, right? Because it's not visual, right? It, it's hard to understand. I could see that the bread will help me, you know? A loaf of bread will sustain me. But it's probably better to choose the bread of life, you know, from the, that, the spiritual bread of life, which kind of underlays everything and empowers everything. 
but that choice is really tough. You know, I always, I kind of like you do the Ignatian thing where, hey, let's imagine yourself and Jesus is being tempted by the devil. You know, how would you do if you were under those temptations? And I would fold like a house of cards, man. And, and that upsets me about myself, right? But I, I agree. I mean, our reality is based upon how open, you know, we are, mm-hmm. you know, to, to that saving bread of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it seems to me like it comes back to uh, a trust in the mystery and a reverence for it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, is that nowhere in the Bible does God say, hey, this isn't going to be painful. Right, right. We're not, it's, (laughs) it's like, follow Jesus, enter comfort land. (laughs) Yeah, it's not, it's just that there's nothing that says, hey, once you do this, in fact, if anything, Catholicism says, no, once you choose this, you're going to suffer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, great. Really? (laughs) Wow. That's a a great message. Yeah, that's what I want to do. Like, I could either like hang out in Miami, right, and drink margaritas and have like a good time, or I could suffer. Hmm, let me see. Yeah, I'll take that suffering. It's this countercultural message, and it can be, you know, and there's a kind of almost a strange cognitive dissonance that goes on, which which I think prevents a lot of people from like, you know, exploring their faith or taking that leap of faith a little bit yeah. more. It does for me. And I mean, I'm like entrenched in this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I find myself rejecting it, you know, from time to time. So Yeah. Yeah. Same. <laughs> you know. People you know, probably like, don't expect a Franciscan sister to say that, but yes, like also me too. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, I, right. mean, I think, you know, and that's, and that's why it's good, you know, to have podcasts like this, but also to have groups and stuff where people can like talk about, I mean, how crappy they feel, you know, about mm-hmm. like the things that go on, but also like how great and like, and I still come back to is just reality. I think in the beginning of my book, Microshifts, I say to the reader, you fill me with awe, right? Because you did, you won the lottery. Like if you're alive right now, you won the lottery. You know, you're one of like 7 billion people that are here at this moment right now. And because you're here right now, you have a purpose. What that purpose is can be really, really tough to discern and figure out, but you're here for a reason, right? And you might not be here in 10 minutes or 20 years from now or 50 years from now, but you're here now. It's an opportunity to do some awesome stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In micro shifts, you write that you see everything as spiritual, even bank statements and and, conflict, conflict. (laughs) No one wants to think that conflict is, (laughs) uh, is, is spiritual. So what is spirituality for you? The spirituality, I think for me, and it constantly changes, but I think it's, how do I react to life? You know, how am I reacting? You know, what does that mean? And, you know, like what you were saying before, you can either say yes to life or no to life. And maybe there's lots of maybes in there too, right? But, you know, how do you, what are the choices I'm making? Why am I making the choices I'm making? The fact is that we're, we're spiritual, we're spiritual beings. We have a body, we have a soul. They're, they're intertwined. I mean, it really should be body, soul, like one word, right? Because Maybe this is radical. Maybe this is just wrong. But if you don't have the body, you don't have the soul, right? And at the end of time or whatever, it all comes together and you're, you know, you're reborn again. That's a new, a new revelation, right? So without one, you can't really have the other, which means that you're dealing with everybody who has body, soul, and their experiences are soul experiences. So everything is 
a spiritual experience and has the opportunity to provide meaning for you and lessons. But you have to like kind of, you have to do, it's, it takes time to look at. I mean, it takes like effort to, to try and seek out what those meanings are, what the lessons are. Um, not that everything's like an after-school special, but everything actually is an after-school special. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that, that, you know, how you react to somebody at a restaurant, how you pass somebody on the street, how you respond to a neighbor who is crazy, how you treat your children, how you deal with bank statements, how you look at the flow of money, how you, um, how you play the stock market. Mm -hmm. These things all have spiritual components in them. That energizes me. I think for other people, it shuts them down or they might not get it. And that's totally cool. But for me, that energizes me because it means that, again, this kind of like wide, crazy fabric of experience, God is everywhere. And there isn't in a place where God isn't, right? And that, that comforts me. So Gary, Messy Jesus Business is about the messiness of radical discipleship. Yeah. And I'd love to hear you talk about what discipleship is for you and how you see yourself as a disciple. I guess it means to, to try as hard as possible, really, to put God before everything else. Right? And that was tough. I mean, I remember like reading C.S. Lewis, and I forget if it's The Great Divorce or, or Screw Tape Letters, where he's like, or someone like seemingly does the right thing. Like, maybe it's The Great Divorce. The uh, guy wants to see his wife in the afterlife. I just can't wait to see her. And then either C.S. Lewis comments on it or it's in the book. He's like, and that's why he goes to hell. Right. Even though he loved his wife so much. And that's what he like. But Lewis puts him in hell or he has a hell experience because he didn't want to see God first. Right. Mm. Loved his wife. But really what we're called to do is to put God ahead of everything else. Mm. That can be really difficult, especially in the society we live in. So, but I think it's true, right? If you put God first, everything else kind of like falls into place, okay. right? And that doesn't mean there won't be struggles, but it means that you're kind of oriented in the right way. Right. So to love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And even though I work in, in publishing and work with words, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, that's it. So to be a disciple is to, 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 to embody that. And everything else is footnotes, right? Everything else has been trying to explain that for 2,000 years. Like, yeah. and, and we're stupid. We don't get it. Wait, <laughs> yeah. love, wait, love God and then love my neighbor as myself. Huh. All right. And then we'll, we'll screw it up. We'll go, all right, but how do I really love God? Right, right. right. We get love. And, over and what, does it, what does it mean? Like, who's my neighbor? Is it like the person who's like next door to me? Or is it the person down the block? Is it the person <laughs> I work with? And, you know, you get all of these like, questions yeah. which they're important questions to answer and that's the challenge is to just to follow that rule mm. and i fail a lot you mm. know and i've like i've like personal experiences where you know i had an aunt who was a drug addict who um she passed away but when i was like 22 she tried to kill me and my mom mm. and you know that's something i've only really started like talking about like recently but my mom and i forgave her we don't want anything to do with her so we tried to keep our distance and then she started showing up when my wife got like pregnant for the first time like looking for money and all of this stuff and a lot of like bleeding heart stuff and would show up like drunk and like pass out on our um, mm -hmm. front lawn and all of that 
And my God, you know, I tried to be as good as I possibly could to her, but there was something that really just held me back. And we did, we tried to help her. Did I try as much as I possibly could have? Absolutely not. I, pro I, I know there was something just holding me back from like, you know, going full in and doing what Christ asked us to do, which is I think he wants you to go full in, go full in. I'll take care of you if you go full in. If you kind of peter back and forth and all this stuff and don't go, you're lukewarm about it. You know, Dante gets this, right? He puts the lukewarm in hell because, well, they're neither hot nor cold. Hell doesn't even want them, right? They're kind of like in an anti-room before hell even starts. So we'll put you in hell anyway with all these other people. Eventually she passed away. But I carry still to this day a lot of guilt because I feel like God was asking me to go all in and I couldn't do it. Mm. You know? mm. And I think a lot of us experience that. I mean, we would be living in a radical world if we did go all in. You know? Yeah. Our woundedness. Tough. It sounds like your woundedness got in the way. And oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I know, and I know it did. And you know. And I could see it, right? I would almost have these out-of-body experiences where I'm like watching myself like react, but I could only go so far, mm -hmm. right? Now, part of it, fairness to me, was like, you know what? I got a wife, I got a kid, yeah. you know? I, I got to protect them and I got to keep them away from all this insanity because mm -hmm. I kind of grew up with a lot of that stuff, like just bad addiction and all this stuff. And I'm going to keep them away from that. Mm -hmm. I still, to this day, I don't know how do you balance that. Yeah. How do you balance like protecting your family and then also trying to do the right thing for another? Mm -hmm. Dorothy Day went all in, but she also suffered a lot for it. So, yeah, right. And then, I mean, and she essentially lived as a nun, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and so she had this community that was very supportive of her as well, you know, mm -hmm. where it's like all of like, like, I don't want to say all like-minded people, but she had a lot of like-minded people, right? And so when you can live as, you know, in, in a community like that, I feel like you can go all in. And that's maybe an excuse, right? Because that's, that's how I rationalize it. Well, I don't live in a community like that. I got to protect these people and I got to yeah. do this and, you know, not being supported like that. Mm -hmm. um, so that prevents me. You've really talked about messiness a lot. Thank you for supporting my brand here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But is there anything else you want to say about the messiness of, of gospel living? Yeah, just that it's, it is. I mean, I think, I mean, you know, the fact that you call it what it is here is that it, it, it's, it is. I mean, you can't, you could try to be optimistic. You could try to be like Pollyanna. You could try to have, you know, even a positive mindset. And I think you should, I really do think like more, if we, we would be better off if more and more people had positive mindsets and also, you know, acted a little bit more like Pollyanna um, instead of like Wednesday from the Adams family. Yeah, it's just tough, you know? I mean, like, like I was mugged and like accosted in a bathroom when I was like really young. Like I was like eight, like in a fast food restaurant. And that really, it scared me. Right. And then I experienced kind of abuse growing up. And my father was, uh, would drive, uh, would do a lot of, um, he was a furniture delivery guy at night. And so and I would go on, you know, these service calls with him or these deliveries. And, you know, we would really kind of like go into like dangerous neighborhoods and people would pay in cash. Right. And so there was always this fear that he was going to get robbed. And one night I'm not with him. He was. Right. And he was robbed at gunpoint. 
He was taken to the top of a, of a building, put a gun up to his head. Um, he was told to lay down on the, on the roof of this building, right? They've taken all the money from him. He's like freaking out. He's dead. And then they pistol whipped him and they left. And he didn't even know what happened after that. All he, just, all he felt was like, like there was a thump and then he went home. And, and I remember being so angry about that. Obviously, he was angry, but being so angry that people had done that. So, so people have asked me to come like work in prisons <laughs> over the years. And uh, I had a really good friend who worked in prison ministry who was asking me to kind of like get involved. And I can't. I just can't. You know, I try, but I can't. I, I pray for to be able to forgive. It's tough, you yeah. know. Yeah. And, you know, so I think a lot of people carry that with them. And that prevents, I mean, it's part, you can't even say that prevents them from being spiritual people. It's just part of their spiritual dynamic. It's a systemic hurt that runs, I think, through me, but I think runs through a lot of different people. So messiness for you is, is the fact that even though you have this desire to serve and to give and to do what's right, you keep confronting the systemic sin that, that hovers over you and haunts you. Absolutely. And, I, and, it's, and I think I love the words that you just used and why I'm probably attracted to the supernatural because I am haunted, right? And I think I'm haunted by you know, past experiences, past abuse, past um, disappointments, and also past mistakes. Like I'm a big sinner, you know, and I've sinned a lot over the years and I've done like things I'm super embarrassed about and, you know, and I've hurt people over the years, like all of us. And God's easy. I can ask God for forgiveness. <laughs> and, and he's like, all right, you're forgiven. Yeah, right? It's not actually that and, tough. We, but we put all these blocks and walls because we are human. Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah. But it's also, but yeah, but try to get forgiveness from another person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the tough part. Right. Right. God's easy. But, you know, like if you've done something wrong and you ask for forgiveness, I mean, look, those guys that did that stuff to my dad or my aunt or the aunt did stuff to me and like, you know, or even a guy who like mugged me when I was young, you know, and like threatened my life. Maybe they look back on that and like, oh, I can't believe I did that. You know, I'm so sorry if I, mm -mm. but I can't let that go. Right. That's tough. Mm -hmm. I try. It helps me to be a little bit more patient with people mm -hmm. knowing that I deal with this stuff. Other people are also dealing with it. So I need to be patient with how they react you know, their maybe inability to be, to forgive, uh, but it's difficult. It's difficult for me and it's difficult, I think, for everybody. Yeah. Amen. So that's the mess. Amen. Thank you, Gary, for coming on Messy Jesus Business. One last question is just how can listeners find your work and, and support you and all your ministries and, and the messiness? You can visit GaryJansen.com. Awesome. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Julia. invite you to join me in this contemplative moment. Whereas Gary and I discuss how 
scripture, the Bible, is the living word of God, and it comes alive in our communal contemplations, and we are all part of God's word. I'm going to read for you a verse from scripture now that illumines this truth. As you soak in this Bible verse, I invite you to close your eyes and breathe deeply and pray. Pay attention to how God's word is speaking to you in this moment. A reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12. Indeed, the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating even between soul and spirit, joints and marrow and able to discern reflections and thoughts of the heart. That's it for this episode of Messy Jesus Business. Thanks for listening. Messy Jesus Business is produced and hosted by me, Sister Julia Walsh, and edited by Cherish Bedzinski. You can find us online at MessyJesusBusiness.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you like what you heard, please be sure to mention our podcast to your friends and followers. And we'd love to have your support via Patreon. From the bottom of our hearts and the middle of the mess, thank you. Messy Jesus Business is produced in partnership with the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. You can learn more about our religious community and donate to our mission at www.fspa.org. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, and I'll catch up with you next time. Until then, peace and all good.